The Tim Hill Podcasts, ordinary people's extraordinary stories. Well, welcome to the Tim Hill Podcast. In this episode, I'm going to have a chat with Emily. Emily's got some surprises for me, I think. So, Emily, if you can tell me when and where you were born, if you can describe what it was like where you grew up, the schools you went to, and the education that you received. So, over to you, Emily. Hello. Thank you so much, Tim. It's good to be here with you. You're welcome. <laughs> um, yeah, so my name's Emily McGill. I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, which is southwestern Pennsylvania. Um, kind of conjunction of three beautiful rivers. Um, and I grew up, I went to uh, Catholic school when I was very small. Um, I was a very small uh, sort of parochial education. Um, my grandmother had taught at the school. My dad went to the school. So it was very much in the family. And um, I was there from kindergarten all the way up and through sixth grade. Um, I know our grades are, I think, are a little bit different. Mm -hmm. We call it different yeah. things. I always got confused when I was studying <laughs> abroad in the UK. Um, but in seventh grade, which is junior high in the U.S., I switched to a, yeah. uh, our, our local public school, which was also a very small school. That's about um, age 11? Uh, yeah, 12. Mm -hmm. yep. 11, 12, yeah. Mm -hmm, 12, sometimes 13, depends on you know when your birthday fell in yeah. the year. Um, I was a summer baby, so I was always late. late. I was one of the youngest in my class, you know, friends oh, who right. were thriving long before I was. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Which That's was thrilling. Unfair, it? Well, it was <laughs> thrilling because it meant somebody had the permission to drive, you know? <laughs> mm. Somebody um, borrowed their, their dad's yes, car. <laughs> some, somebody said, yes, you can have these keys. It was thrilling. Absolutely thrilling. That moment of freedom of like, oh, we can do anything. Yeah. I mean, really, we just like for the weekend. No, but I was going to say, really, we just like went to Starbucks. Like, you know, that was oh. all we were doing. We weren't going crazy. <laughs> it was just going to get Starbucks. But it was so exciting that, you know, someone was able yeah, so to, to get us place to place. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, all through that time, I was also in dancing school um, and theater school. My parents put me in dancing school when I was three. And so I did that for a long time. And then um, sort of we found theater as a family. So we started taking acting lessons and voice lessons. And so a lot of my schooling, while I was going to, like I said, a pretty regular traditional sort of public school in the U.S. Yeah. For, high, for junior high and high school, um, I was still, you know, taking classes at the conservatory um, nights and weekends, we were doing, you know, we were rehearsing musicals and performing in shows um, with the conservatory. So yeah. as much as I was getting that super traditional education, I was also getting this really awesome arts education at the same time. So the arts education that you were getting then, mm -hmm. was it just concentrating on musicals or was it theatre as well? It was, so were, it was were, were, musical were theatre. An actor? It was musical theater, you know, it was mm. never really, we would, of course, we would in acting class, you know, work on scene work and things like that. Yeah. But um, it was really more about the musicals. And it wasn't until much later in my life that I came to have a profound appreciation for plays and how um, 
how almost musical and lyrical a play even could be. Yeah. But at the, I, in my I, early years, it was all about the musicals. Yeah, I'll put my hand up now. I love musical theater. Mm -hmm. I love, I love the theater. Yes. I love plays. Yes. And when I was in London, I, I've been to dozens of plays. I, mm -hmm. I, I went to saw, uh, went to see Half a Sixpence mm -hmm. with Charlie Stamping about six times. That's awesome. It's brilliant. So I love that. So, yeah. So what? Um, so what were you doing during um, during the school at time? Mm -hmm. Did you you obviously put on some plays or, or some mm -hmm. musicals? So what was the first musical you did? Uh, so I was I was also kind of lucky because my high school was very small. We still did a musical, so I had the chance to do shows in my high school and then also at the conservatory where I was studying, where it was like a lot of kids all sort of from different schools across the city. And um, so the first show I actually did was at my high school, and it was a musical called Barnum, which is the story of P.T. Barnum. Ooh, yeah, Barnum like P.T. Barnum. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I was a tumbling clown. Mostly I just did like cartwheels across the stage, really. Uh, you know, my friends and I, I didn't have, this was like before I had really started in earnest into the singing and acting yeah. lesson. So I wasn't as comfortable opening my mouth on the stage as I was dancing because I'd been doing that for a long time. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, slowly but surely I got there uh, and I got more comfortable with it. And and now you, it's hard to shut me up. So. <laughs> so first one, P.T. Barnum. Mm -hmm. That's that's a great play. They they turn that into a film as well. Um, oh yes, the Greatest Showman, Showman is definitely yeah. inspired by it. Yeah, but it's fun because this is like a totally different musical. You know, yeah. that was written. I must have been written in the seventies because it was first ago. produced on Broadway in the early eighties. Glenn Close was the star when it was on mm. Broadway, like way back in the day. So Brilliant. yeah, yeah. So that was the so. first one. So let's say you started out as a as a performing clown. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> that was that was your first sort of live performance. That was my first live on stage role in a in a in a show that had a plot to it. Yeah. Yeah. Before that, it was just like dance recitals. You know. Yeah. Show us at the so, end of the year what you've done all year. <laughs> <laughs> you know. So. so, so the high school then. Mm -hmm. It was high school, or junior high. Uh, it was both because it was such a small school. So they had right. uh, great for us, grades seven through 12, which is, you know, the, the whole of your sort of adolescence yeah. years in, in school uh, in required school, at least in the U S um, yeah. You know, so yeah, we were all, all six grades were in one school because it was so small. So they must've been out put on, these were like extra curricular. Uh, or extra out of out of normal curriculum. Yep, we had lots. That, that people that wanted to go and do it could go and, and join the, the the after school club. That's what I was looking. Yep, for, yep. Club. We had lots yeah. of different things. Um, I was pretty involved in like our student council. Um, I was hugely involved in the chorus and the marching band. Um, I was on the dance team. I was not in the band. I, I couldn't read music, despite the fact that I, mm. you know, I could. I can like 
figure out which note is which, but I, it takes me time. I can't like just like read music the way someone who plays an instrument could. Yeah. Um, so it was really funny when I became the drum major of the marching band and couldn't read music, but <laughs> you know, they needed someone with leadership quality and that I had, I could do that. I could keep time. I was a tap dancer. I can conduct, you oh, know, right. I just couldn't read the music. I didn't know if they were playing their parts right or not. Yeah, really? I left that to the uh, to the section leaders. I was ready to delegate yeah. that part. Absolutely. <laughs> you make sure they know what they're doing and then report into me and we'll be good. Because because drum majors uh, in American marching bands are a little bit different to the mm -hmm. drum majors in a military band in the British Army. Yep, I bet. Yeah. I bet. Oh. So Talking of military bands and, and marching bands, mm -hmm. my last job in the, the the army was I was a welfare officer for London mm -hmm. Central Garrison, and I looked after the five foot guards bands as well as the the the, the, the incremental company awesome. of, of foot guards. So I, I I got to know the drum majors very well. In mm -hmm. fact, I worked with one of the drum majors for for, for sort of four years, five oh, years. Wow. So. Um, and and there was always an opportunity to go out and watch the a, a guard mount and and watch you getting dressed up in all his state kit. <laughs> I bet it was so cool to yeah. see all the pageantry of it. Yeah, it's it's. Yeah, I mean, I had some fantastic opportunities to to just go out and 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 actually, I took a lot of liberties. If it's truth wow. be known, I mean, I looked after the minor royals on the Queen's birthday parade uh, in the general's office. So. <laughs> So that was fun. Anyway, we're not talking about me. We're talking about you. <laughs> yeah, but extraordinary stories, you know. It's Absolutely. fun when you get to feel like you're making a real impact in the yeah. world. So going through junior and senior high, mm -hmm. you you just had the one after school club that, that, that was the drama group. Well, yeah, but I, you know, I had the drama group outside of school. I had the drama as well group as, yeah. at school. I was, like I said, I was involved with the band, the chorus, um, on uh, student council. Um, you know, I was pretty involved in school and in the community as far as like the arts side of thing went and yeah. sort of community building aspect of stuff. I wasn't, um, gonna join something you know like I didn't I wasn't in the ski club I didn't know how to ski then so I wasn't mm. you know that wasn't something I was going to be doing but I was involved with like the yearbook and the newspaper and um you know we had like uh the honors and AP classes there was sort of like a yeah. community around the students that I was pretty active in so there was I I was in a lot of different places doing a lot of different things and it's interesting because so that's not stopped so, so did you have a lot of diary clashes then? <laughs> you know, it was, I had to make some really hard decisions at one point. Um, I was, I got, I had the opportunity. Jesus Christ Superstar was always one of my favorite musicals oh, when I was younger. Yes. And um, I always wanted to be in it. And my, when I, my junior year of high school, um, I was on the dance team of the marching band and I got cast in Jesus Christ Superstar and I couldn't, it was impossible to do both. I could not do both. I had to make it. So which did, you, which did you pick then? I quit marching band <laughs> and I went and did Jesus Christ Superstar because I didn't know if I'd get to do that again. And I knew I would get yeah. to go back to finish marching band my senior year. And I got to finish marching so, band my junior year. I went and went on the trip with them in the spring and, you know, I was part of it still, but 
Yeah. I had to step back, like you said, in that moment because of the conflict yeah. of time. So, so what role did you get? Oh, I was in the ensemble. I was always in the ensemble. Oh, always. You didn't get a lead then? No, only if I, my high school, I got leads, which is why I still participated there because yeah. it was important to me to get to also sort of grow and stretch. And mm. I wasn't getting that opportunity at my theater school because there were so many talented kids there. Yeah. So, um, so, so, so it was your, your, um, the outside one that they did Jesus Christ. Yes. Mm-hmm. They did Jesus and Christ Superstar at my feet at the, at the conservatory. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So did they put on just one uh, big show a year or did they have two? We did two at this, at the conservatory. There was usually a fall and a spring and then there was a summer program. And depending yeah. on the size of the summer program, more kids participated in the summers. Um, they would oftentimes do two teen shows in the summer because it was such a large group. Um, and, and, and then that, and, at and my high school, we only holidays. did one. That's during the summer, summer holidays. Yeah, there was like There's, a three like or four-week summer intensive at the conservatory that you could go and take class from like nine to five every day. And we would rehearse a show in the afternoons. And it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I can imagine. Mm -hmm. So, so you you're doing like two shows: one in the in the fall, one in the spring, uh, and then you, you're at summer school with the conservatory. Mm -hmm. And then, what were you doing at school? What was what was the after school club there? I mean, that was also what the musical at school. I was doing, um, you know, chorus. We, you know, fortunately, chorus and band were classes during the day, so it didn't take additional time after school. But if you were in, I was in like the triple trio, which was like sort of the three part, three women ensemble. Like I had to be in after school practice for that. Yeah. Um, you know, we would have marching band. Band practice was during the day, but then the whole band with the dance team and the majorettes and the flag team and everything would gather and we would have those practices. And um, so there, you know, there was a lot happening. I was in a lot of different places. All right. So you learned time management fairly early on then? I learned that I do really well with structure. Mm. Really well so, with structure. If there's if there if I have places I need to be and things I need to do and like I'm being kept busy in a really specific way, it's easier for me to get more done. So you, you work well under pressure. I do work well under pressure. <laughs> <laughs> which is uh you know it's sometimes troubling because it's like well then i feel like i invite pressure because i'm like i do better yeah. but you know <laughs> trying trying just to move away from that a little bit brilliant so you go through school you 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 got to your senior year in high mm -hmm. school what happened in your senior year did, did you pass out with honors you, you um, and did you go on to to college university after Yes. Uh, so I always knew where I was going for my freshman year of college. I didn't have a choice. I was going to Duquesne University in Pittsburgh. Um, they had a program in the 80s called Tuition Futures. And so my parents actually took out a loan and paid for my four years of college in 1986 or something like that. And um, the deal was you bought in at that point in time 
And whenever the student came to school, it was paid for. And I had to do 30 credits and then I could go wherever I wanted and Duquesne would pay up to Duquesne's tuition at any other school. And I think they pretty quickly realized in the 80s that they were going to be losing a fortune on this. <laughs> so they quit doing it by the time my brother, who's two years younger than me, got, got you know, was, was around. That wasn't an option anymore. Um, but I knew that that's where I was going for a year. I also mm. knew that I wanted to study musical theater. That's what I wanted to go to school for. And there was a school in Pittsburgh that I wanted to go to, Point Park. Um, and so I was like, all right, well, I'll just go to Duquesne, take as many academic courses as I can, get everything I need to get done as far as those go. And mm -hmm. then I can, when I get to Point Park, I'll finish any other requirements and then just get to take all of my dancing and singing and acting classes. Like, so that's exactly what I did. Um, that worked out. Yeah. And, you know, my freshman year at Duquesne, I, I had like cross registered. So I was able to take dance classes at Point Park and I would walk down and do that. And so it was nice. I had this sort of in between of uh, from like a really school focused thing with yeah. trying to do this, the, the theater stuff on top of it to then like pretty school focused just to get the school stuff done. And then I really got to focus on theater, um, mm. which also then became an opportunity to focus on um, socializing and community building and just like having connection in that way, which was really cool. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. So that worked well then. So, so you spend the first year doing the, all the, get all, all the academic stuff out yep. of the way. And then mm -hmm. you had what, three years of, dance yeah like, kind of theater. yeah yeah i spent a semester studying abroad in london i did a semester at regent's college in regent's park so no, we no. lived right in the park which was amazing the queen's rose gardens mm. were out the door i mean it was yeah. wild <laughs> um you know hanging out on marleybone high street and using the baker street tube station it was all so yeah. thrilling uh, i'd never been so far from home so it was really really exciting to get to have that growth. Um, and then I went back to school and I had one more semester and I graduated and I was ready to move to New York and knew that's where I was headed. So, so, uh, so why just come back while you were in London then, mm -hmm. um, did you have the opportunity to go to, to the West end? Theaters? I, yeah. I, so because Upshaw, I was a, the Avenue, mm -hmm, I was a student because I was a student um, in theater uh, my university's options for studying abroad were either to go to Paris and study dance or to go to London and study theater. And my best friend in college and I decided that we didn't want to have to learn French. And that's how we made the decision. <laughs> Straight up. We were like, mm, don't really feel like learning another language. We're going to London. That's a, that's a fairly easy one. To <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, don't so, get me wrong. I mean, I mean, Paris is, is nice. Oh, my God. However. I love Paris. And everyone is, is, you know, despite the fact that when you show up as an American speaking English, everyone was, has yeah. always been very gracious to me. I, like, truly, yeah. the people of Paris have always been so kind. Um, yeah. But I, we were, you know, we were excited to also try London for a, a semester. We didn't know what we were doing. Yeah. So um, the we had two classes that were specifically theater classes. And as part of them, we got to go see shows. So one was a, um, a straight play class, 
So we yeah. were studying lots of Shakespeare and, you know, all, all of the lots of different writers, but then it was, it was a contemporary London theater class. So we went and saw six or seven shows from things like big things at the national, like Corum Boy, um, which yeah. was playing at that time to like really tiny little experimental theaters, like way in the East end of London. So it was cool. Cause we got this like really dynamic uh, visual of, of yeah. what was on offer at that point in time. Um, and then the other class was a musical theater class. And we saw again, like six or seven shows for that one. Um, mostly West end, but not all. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, we got to do Mary Poppins and Billy Elliot and Carolina change. Uh, I, like I know those three were for class. But then we were in London, so we were theater nerds. Yeah. So we would just like try and get tickets for, and, and tickets were so much less expensive there than they were here. Um, the TKTS booth in Leicester Square, you you know, mm. you could get a ticket to a West End show for like 25 pounds. Yeah. Granted, to, the exchange yeah. rate at the time was double, so it was 50 bucks. So yeah. it really wasn't all that different, but <laughs> it felt good. Yeah, but on the day. I mean, you, yeah. you can get real mm -hmm. bargains on the day I mean, when they haven't sold out and yep. boom, you're in there. Mm -hmm. And so, so we saw Closing Night of Sunday in the Park with George. That was the first thing I saw when I got to London, like two, the night or two after I got there. Um, that was closing and we, that's, we went and saw the show, the final performance. Um, I, I got to see Evita, which I had never seen and I you know, loved at that time. Um, I got to see that. We went to that on Thanksgiving Day. Thanksgiving means nothing in the UK, but to us Americans, we went out and we had a nice Italian yeah. dinner. And then, <laughs> and then uh, my friends and I sat in the last row of the theater and it was just so cool. We were like, look, here we are going Fantastic. to the theater whenever we Brilliant. want. Brilliant. Yeah, it was really, really special. And we lived, you know, because we were in Regent's Park, we were pretty close to Camden Town. So yeah. it was fun to go over there and sort of explore um that neighborhood and the markets and everything over there and yeah we had a really really fun time so what was the best show you saw in london mm -hmm. mm. tough question is it <laughs> yeah i would say that I think the best musical I saw was Billy Elliot at that time, which then became very special because it was a show that I worked on on Broadway. So um, it was well. Cool. That's just opposite Victoria Station at that time. Mm. And now they got Hamilton on there. Uh huh. Just to let you know. Yeah, it was in that. <laughs> it's like a circular sort of. Yeah. Right portion of town. Or there's a, there's like a traffic circle area there or something. I remember. Yeah, it's it's, it's Victoria it like Station. Yeah. So yeah. I, I I it was yes. I I mean I remember walking out of the tube station and like over to the theater. Like I can yeah. see it. So it definitely made an impact on me. Um, and I do. I think I really. There were two plays at the National that I really loved. One was Corum Boy. I it was like so effed up and I really moving and I really loved it. It like made, again, made an impression. And the other was 
probably thoroughly boring, but also like fascinating. Galileo was playing at that time. And so it was like a, this like huge epic play. Yeah. So with a beautiful set. And so that was like fun to do too. Did you go to the old Vic? I think we did. They put on I Shakespeare plays there. I think we maybe it was the new Vic we went to. We saw Kevin Spacey in A Moon for the Misbegotten, mm. which was fabulous. And then, you know, we learned about Kevin Spacey, so it was less fabulous. But um, <laughs> and we also saw something at the Globe. I don't remember what it was, though. Hmm. Two gents, maybe. Might have been two gents. It's been a long time since I've like really thought about it, though. Well, I like to provoke thought. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> so I, I went to see um, As You Like It mm -hmm. at the Old Vic. Now, <clears throat> I've grown up speaking English all my life. They might as well have been speaking Swahili because I couldn't understand a word of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it just went, out, went above my head. I mean, old, old English is, yeah. 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 Proper, proper Shakespeare. Uh, Shakespeare. And, uh, and what made it harder, they were doing it as a contemporary. Mm. I, 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 just, I just didn't get it. Yeah. <laughs> but there you go. That's... that's that's me and Shakespeare. Right. And you're like, mm, okay. In one ear and out so, the other. So you had a semester in London and then you mm -hmm. went back to finish off your last year in college, university. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. And I, I was doing some shows at the theater company, my conservatory. Um, at that point, I was doing some of their professional shows. So uh, I did a couple with them and moved to New York that summer. I knew I was coming here. So um, a lot of my friends from school were. Several of us came mm -hmm. to New York together. And um, yeah, you know, I moved to the city. I started auditioning when I first moved to New York because I, during college, came to understand or university, came to understand that I knew I didn't want to be a performer in my life. But I wanted okay. to have a career in the theater but I didn't want to be on stage um okay. I had I was never the one that was cast right like when you were asking like who were you like you weren't one of the stars you were in the ensemble I was always in the ensemble unless I was not in the show at all and so, so, so you never never craved the limelight oh I absolutely you craved never it wanted but I never the adulation <laughs> I craved it but I didn't receive it all right. <laughs> right. It was a thing that I wanted, but I wasn't going to mm. get. And if I wasn't getting it on a small scale in Pittsburgh, I was certainly yeah. not going to be getting it swimming with the sharks in New York. Yeah. So how do I become involved in this business, in this industry? I don't know. But so for the for, for a year, I auditioned because I had to had to do it. And then yeah. I started getting internships in different offices. I interned in a Broadway producer's office. I learned about uh, casting during that as well. I worked in a general manager's office, company managers. Um, I worked with press agents. I was the assistant to a star and a producer. I started getting little bits and pieces of, oh, there's an entire industry that exists beyond the stage, beyond what you see when you walk in the building. 
And yeah. I started to learn that there could be a space for me in there um, and began applying to any and every job that seemed like it was remotely interesting while knowing that my degree is in singing, dancing, and acting, <laughs> right? <laughs> like I have a bachelor's in theater arts. Yeah. From, you know, it's not, and you know, there's, no, there's no communications degree. There's no business degree. There's not, none of that. Um, sort of something that you would see as like a useful, quote unquote, useful, right? <laughs> Here in my mother's opinion sometimes. But, um, <laughs> but so we... Not, you, you, so so you, you've gone through four years of college to get a degree that mm -hmm. then you're not going to use. Correct. But, but it's giving, I guess it's giving you that grounding in knowing how stuff happens in the theatre, the behind the scenes stuff. Well, I knew a lot of how that happened. No, because I didn't get an opportunity to make theater when I was in college, at my college. Again, I was not, I was not cast in anything. I was not the mm. person that was being recognized. So I was constantly sort of like falling through the cracks and wanting to be seen, but not getting, mm. like I said, not receiving that, that sort of validation and that acknowledgement. Yeah. So it was how do I stay involved in this in a way that both allows me to succeed and helps the people I love around me succeed? Because I see a lot of people that I know have talent. And if I can help being, be part of creating jobs and opportunities for them, I wanted yeah. to be doing that. Okay. So... So you went through from sort of job to job. What are these like just short-term contracts where, you, where they they need like an agency staff to, to go in and, and help out for a short period of time? Or they were or more like it... in, like student internships. Except I wasn't a student anymore, so I mm. was just free labor, going to work somewhere to learn. Um, you know, working at a restaurant or whatever yeah. to pay my bills, but then you know going into an office a few days a week. Um, so by the time I was 25, yes, I was looking for a full-time job. So I was like, I can't keep interning. I need something yeah. more stable. And I ended up getting a job in one of the Broadway PR offices as their receptionist and learning about what the PR office does for a Broadway show. Because it's not just about, you know, media relations and placing stories. There's so much mm. that happens. Um, so I started getting to, you know, learn the ropes and see about how things were taken care of and slowly but surely uh, got my footing in that, in that role. And then a position opened up within the office, someone was leaving. And so I was able to then get assigned to a specific set of shows. And so at that time, actually Billy Elliot was one of the shows that I was assigned to work on. So it was really cool, like sort of full circle moment from coming from this place of knowing that I didn't want to be a performer, but seeing a show like Billy Elliot, which like gutted yeah. me the first time I saw it. I mean, as soon as mom comes out and starts singing her letter, I like lost my mind. I couldn't stop sobbing. It was just so beautiful. And I was like, Elton John, why are you so good? You know, but um, <laughs> it was fabulous though. I really, really loved it. And so then to get to go back and revisit the show whenever I wanted to, because working on the show, I, yeah. you know, and pre-COVID times, like you could just waltz into the theater if you worked, you know, if you worked at the theater, if you worked on the show. So I could go into the theater and stand in the back and just watch whenever I wanted to. Yeah. 
Brilliant. Mm-hmm. So, Billy Elliot. I mean, that's one of my favourites as well. Yeah. I think I think Arthur Sixpence is 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 right up there, but Billy Elliot was just as good. I really enjoyed mm-hmm. Billy Elliot. And uh, little story there. Um, one of the lads that starred as Billy mm-hmm. ended up being one of my guardsmen. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. How about Rock. that? So, so he, he, he grown up being a singer and dancer. Uh, I love did it. Billy Elliot got too old to to, to carry on the role, uh-huh. and then joined the army as a guardsman. Uh-huh. You know, one of the Billy Elliot's on Broadway who won, who was one of the Tony Award winning originals, um, also went into the service, into the U.S. service mm. and was a serviceman here for, for several years. Um, I think that's so beautiful. Also, Tom, uh, Tom Holland, is that his name? The guy that's um, Spider-Man in the new Marvel series was a Billy Elliot when he was a kid. Brilliant. I love it. So. You you now got your foot firmly in the door. Mm-hmm. You've you've worked on a few shows. Billy Billy Elliot was one of your favourites, obviously. Mm-hmm. So where does it where did it take you? I was at that job for about three years and um, got to work on some other amazing shows with amazing producers. Memphis the Musical is another one that had a really big impact on me. That was right around the same time as Billy. Yeah. I was working on them concurrently. Um, and so I ended up going to another PR office. Um, my new boss worked out of Lincoln Center Theater and um, did all of their shows and was also working on some super starry plays. And so I was assigned to A Raisin in the Sun starring Denzel Washington, um, which was a really amazing experience. And that's actually the play that made me realize I love plays. Right. I was saying earlier that I was, it was yeah. always musicals until yeah. I worked on A Raisin in the Sun. And oh. I think that is all due to the director, Kenny Leon. Um, he and I became very dear friends during that production. He was also nominated for a Tony Award for his work. And I was the press agent that was with him throughout his entire campaign. So when he won, it was a very exciting right. moment for both of us. <laughs> Did you, you get know? to go up on the stage with him? I wasn't on the stage sat- with him, but I was with him immediately after when he went to do all of his interviews in the winner's circle. So it was very, oh, very fun experience. Um, Brilliant. Yeah, but he really helped me understand that plays can also be musical and that there is an opportunity to see the poetic, you know, ability that a play can have without having Mm. to have music. Like, I don't have to be entertained in the same way. Um, And I really do credit him and that experience. And then seeing a lot of plays with him in the, you know, in the eight years following, yeah, or I guess six of the eight years since pandemic, but, you know, going to the theater with him and seeing plays and sort of then being able to talk about it afterwards and talking about like yeah. what worked, what didn't, why I felt a way I did, why he felt a way he did. It really helped me understand how plays are constructed much more. Mm. So, um, yeah, it was it was a really really powerful experience to work on that one. Do you not do you not find that analyzing a, a play in that way 
detracts from the enjoyment of, of watching it? I think it's a case by case basis. Um, yeah. I have. How, what's the best way for me to put this? I um... see the way I the way I would play it mm -hmm. was I'd go and see the play for what it is, mm -hmm. and then go back the following night and then analyze mm -hmm. it. Yeah, and I think then, it's, and then it's start, hard when and you work in the industry, in right? Yeah. But when you work in the industry, it's hard to go, as you're saying, hard to go yeah. in and take the analyzing brain off of it. Um, there are some things that I'll, you know, if it, if, if it hooks me, I'm in for the ride. I'm in for the enjoyment, Yeah. but it takes a lot for me to buy in. And so I think that's mm. what I was starting to say earlier. Like I, <laughs> I'm like, how do I say this nicely? I don't, I tend to hate everything. Like I come out <laughs> of something and I'm like, that was unnecessary. Mm. Unnecessary has become a word that I use to describe theater more frequently than I'd like to. <laughs> I'm grateful people have jobs. I'm grateful work yeah. is happening. That was, I'm never going to get that two and a half hours back. Right? So there's, but there's like, what, okay, I'm never going to get that two and a half hours back. What can I learn from it? Hmm. So, I mean, have you, have you ever been to a Noel Coward play, Foss? Yes. What did I see? Private Lives. Yeah. And there was one that I think also played. I could be wrong. I feel like there was also one that played at the Music Box Theater, but I don't know. But yeah, I saw Private Lives mm. um, when Kevin Klein did that. It's fine. It's of a different era. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I love a farce. Mm -hmm. I, 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 yeah, I go on my way to go and watch uh, mm -hmm. an old coward farce because I, if and they're, they're done well, do. yeah, if they're done well, they, I mean, they, they just blow you away. Mm -hmm. I've seen quite a few in, in, up in London as as uh, <laughs> as I was working up there and got the opportunity to go to the theatre yeah. a lot. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I just had a fun. We just did a fun um, holiday show here in New York called a Sherlock Carol. So it was a Christmas Carol mashed up with Sherlock Holmes. And right. if you're a fan of either of those genres, um, yeah. you know, you, you have a blast because, and then if you're a fan of both of them, like it's really fun to see where the author interwove in them so that you have, you know, tiny Tim talking to yeah. Sherlock Holmes and you're like, wait, what? <laughs> you know, and it's, it's cool. It's fun. Yeah. Uh, you know, so yeah, it, it's a, uh, so I love, I think like the thing I'm realizing now is like the more playful it is, the more I think I'm going to enjoy it. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, so, we need to have heavy theater too, to help us process stuff. Yeah. But yeah. we're processing, we're trying to process so much trauma as is, as a collective human race that hmm. I prefer the funny stuff. Oh, I do. I, I, I love stuff, a comedy. Playful stuff. I love a comedy. You can't be a good comedy. So, um, the last two years, mm -hmm. what has that been like? Because, I mean, the the theatre industry in this country has, has been decimated. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Every time I see Sonia Freeman talking about something, she's like, what are these people doing? 
And it's and um, like Weber was like a one-man crusade. Yeah. And it's only only just now starting to sort of come back slowly. Mm-hmm. But but people are still walking around with masks on. And we've dropped all the regulations in this country. Yeah, I heard. Um, but over the last couple of years, the government has done a pretty good job of instilling fear into the population. Mm-hmm. And now they won't believe a word they say. Mm-hmm. So people walking down the street with masks on. Um, yeah, I and mean... I think that's, 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 I mean, look at just before Christmas. They they were umming and ahhing whether to lock down. And in the end, a few days before Christmas, they just said, oh, we won't lock down. By which time they had decimated the the the, the restaurant business. Yes. Yeah. Theatre business. Mm-hmm. We, went, we went to see, um, we went over to Portsmouth to see, um, what did we see? Oh, no, we didn't. Oh, yes, you did. Cinderella. Mm-hmm. Um, the panto. A panto. I, mean, mm-hmm. I love a panto as well. But we got over there and it was half empty. Mm-hmm. And you, you just got to feel sorry for, mm-hmm. for, for, the, for the actors yeah. playing to a half empty audience. You know, I think and there's a, there is a little bit of a different perspective here because masking is so required. And in order to get inside a venue in New York City, you have to show proof of vaccine and proof of ID and you have to wear a mask. And that I think makes theater going audiences here more comfortable. Like there was a piece in the New York Times just this last week that one of their writers had gone to the UK um, to do a, a feature on James McAvoy for Cyrano. And she was like, well, since I'm here, I'm going to see a ton of shows. And she left more than one of them because of the lack of masking amongst the audience. And her perception was, and I kind of, I don't know that I a hundred percent agree, but I absolutely am in alignment with that. Um, it's a simple way to just keep the people on stage safe because they can't wear masks mm. on stage. Right. And like, if they were not, yes, there are still waves that see, are moving see, through. So see, there's just a very different approach, you know? Yeah. So go, so go, go back two years mm-hmm. before the pandemic. Sure. How many people went into a theatre wearing a mask? But we didn't have the same concern about a contagious disease that could kill people. Look at the figures on 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 that disease. But not it, that was, it, but not that was raging at this rate, right? Like yeah. we didn't have the same problems that we're facing now, which but is now it's gone away. To an extent, <laughs> but, you know, in the U.S., uh, we still have 40% of people that are not vaccinated here. And so, therefore, there's still a large contingency of uh, people that are could die from this disease. Yeah, but they're not. Yet. How do you know, right? Like, they're, it, but it's even it. then, there's the hospitals are still so overwhelmed. I mean, we're still in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> it's no, we're happening. not. No, it isn't. But it's see, gone away. Everybody's a... concentrating on Ukraine at the moment. Well, that that's doesn't the, mean the pandemic's the... gone away, Tim. That doesn't mean it's gone. You're well, in it's a not small on the television. town. 
<laughs> and so what? That means it's disappeared because the media well, has a short memory? Well, apparently so. <laughs> no, not true at no. all. Absolutely untrue. And it's very different being in a small coastal town in the UK versus being yeah. in the middle of New York City also, right? New York City was yeah, one of the first hardest hit places in the States. I mean, we had freezer trucks of bodies outside on the street because there were not places to put them. Mm. And that's a trauma that doesn't go away quickly. Yeah. So when we see something simple like, oh, put a mask on and be vaccinated in order to sit in a capacity of, you know, 1200 seat theater to make sure that the people on stage don't get sick so they can get up there and do it again the next day and do it again the next day and do it again the next day. Right. Yeah. Like that to me is a no brainer. It's a really simple way to allow the economy to continue. And you do it for yeah. two and a half hours, right. and then you go outside and you take it off. Yeah, I'll so give like you that one. right, and and the thing is, is like it's not like we're in a town of, you know, a couple thousand people, ten thousand people. Like there are eight million, eight and a half million people that live in New York City, and it's not yeah. like L.A. where it's or London where it's kind mm -hmm. of a more mm -hmm. of a sprawling city. Everything's built together and on top of itself. So it's just yeah. a very Everybody different situation here, right? Mm. So, you know, we okay. have to think about things differently and how, you know, also during the Omicron spike that we had here in New York over the holidays, we had entire Broadway shows go down for weeks on end. Mm. Like, it, it's not hard to show up in a mask to prevent that happening. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, if you want to yeah. see Hamilton, everyone has to be well enough at Hamilton to put on the show. And it's not even necessarily the cast that goes down. If, an, if it's enough of the you know, instrumentalists the crew, or the yeah. crew or whoever is your sound department. You know what I mean? Like, it's not yeah. just the people on stage. So there's, you know, it's just to me and, and I get that it's again, right, two very different places. But, yeah. you know, to me, it seems like a no brainer. Well, eventually we'll be out of it. Absolutely. Eventually we will. <laughs> eventually it'll be like the flu or any other risk yeah. that we just assume the risk as it comes, right? That we don't yeah. think about the risk every time we walk out the door. But this one is still a very fresh trauma. So a lot of people are still thinking about the risk every time they step out the door. Yeah. Okay. So, so uh, over the last two years then, have you been able to, to continue work or, or, or what have you done? Because I, I I guess all of the theatres have been shut down similar yeah. to what they have in London. Yeah, we didn't uh, and, have theatre for, I think it was 15 months, more than that. Uh, the shutdown happened on March 12th. And Passover started performing. I mean, if you, I don't know, I didn't really count Bruce Springsteen as like a return of theatre, um, mm. though it was exciting. Um Passover to me was the first Broadway show back and that didn't happen until August of 2021. So, you know, we went through that whole long yeah. stretch of not having um, the opportunity to gather. And for me, like, and I think that's why I feel so strongly about the masking thing too, Tim, is because mm. for me, part of the importance of the ritual is in the gathering part. It's in the being together part. Even yeah. if it's strangers, even if it's people you don't know, you're like sitting in this room with other people all witnessing the same story. And so that sense of gathering is something that we had missed for so long. Um, so I think that that was a really big relief when that was 
you know, able to start happening again. We were able to start gathering in theaters. Um, I was fortunate that I had some clients who went digital and were doing, um, we're finding a lot of success in like creating digital, digital theater for people and helping people do things online. Um, so I was very fortunate in being able to continue working with them, but, uh, yeah, the majority of my business completely dried up. Um, there was yeah. no opportunity to do any kind of PR for a show. Everything was online and, um, you know, because everything was online, there was just such a glut of, of content and of people trying to cut through the clutter for attention yeah. for their content. So it, it was an uphill battle for quite some time. Mm. Um, in that aspect, but it also had, you know, fortunately had given me the opportunity to reconsider where I sort of ended up, you know, I've, I yeah. found myself just before the pandemic hit, having the best month financially to date in my business and being more miserable than I'd ever been in my life, thinking mm. I was like choosing the life that I wanted to have. And here I am thinking, how did I end up here? And so the pandemic yeah. gave me the opportunity to really reconsider things and say, what do I want to do? What, like, what direction do I think I want to go? What is going to light me up every day? Yeah. So what is going to light you up every day? Have you come to that, that, um, that crossroads? Yeah. I, well, I had for a while back when I was working on a raisin in the sun, my grandma passed away and that sent me to therapy. And that was one of the best things I ever could have done in my life. Um, so for the past almost eight years, I have been working with my therapist to detangle all sorts of different things that I have been carrying. And um, as part of that process, she introduced me to the tarot and tarot cards. And that was um, has become something that I love and I use as a tool in my life every day um, to tap into the stuff that is I hold within me because I believe that we all hold information in our hearts and our guts hmm. doesn't always make it up to our heads. And sometimes no. we need some help. <laughs> right. <laughs> so some people are ruled by their heads. Yeah. Some are ruled by their hearts. Some and are ruled by many the, the, the other parts of, of their bodies too. too. But you yeah. know, we, we have, we hold information within our hearts and our guts. There's sometimes stuff that we like know deeply within ourselves, mm. but we haven't translated up to our heads yet. And so I like to say that tarot is like a physical or a visual representation of that information. Mm. It's like, I know this. And now like, how do I translate it to my head, to my mind? Yeah. Um, the young people would say it's like texting myself a meme, right? <laughs> so that's where you are now. So, well, yeah, it's one of the places I am for sure. Mm -hmm. So, so you're still involved with the um, the music business, um, the, you know, the theatre business. I'm finding my own way forward. I am uh, going to be going to Columbia University this year for a master's in clinical psychology and spirituality. Um, that was part of this evolution and growth that I have gotten to experience during the pandemic is discovering what else I want to do with my life. And that felt aligned. So I just said yes. And now here I am uh, accepted to Columbia and <laughs> planning to go in, in, in the short term. So um, 
So I'm really excited about that. And, you know, I think there are ways to still be involved in the theater industry and the theater community. Um, it really is the community part that I care the most about. Yeah. When I mentioned Passover, which was the first playback, and they did their very first performance, the production shut down 52nd Street between Broadway and 8th Avenue, and they threw a block party for their audience wow. to say, welcome back. Yeah. And uh, a pop-up dance party musical, a broad, a pop-up Broadway dance party that I am one of the co-founders of, Snob, Sunday Night on Broadway. Um, mm -hmm. We were hired to be the entertainment and we DJed this block party. And to stand oh, in the yeah, and to stand in the middle of that DJ booth, in the middle of the block, all these people dancing with abandoned around, and like seeing the creative team standing up outside the theater, you know, in the windows of the theater, dancing along too, and just like this this sense of like relief and release that came in that moment, and the sense of gathering. Like I realized that as much as I love what happens in the building. I care just as much, if not more, about what happens outside of the building. Wow. As far as like the making of the physical theater versus like the making of the theater community. And there was something really powerful in that for me. So mm. I'm hoping to explore some of that with, uh, with Columbia as well. Brilliant. Well, I can only wish you every success with that. Thank you. And uh, hope you come out with much more enlightened um, i'm sure it's just going to continue the growth is just going to continue right absolutely every day is a school day yes it is <laughs> so we're going to okay, do a Emily, reading do we have time we'll finish this we'll finish this one up and then we'll do it okay great if that's okay thank you so much the tim hill podcasts ordinary people's extraordinary stories <laughs>